Bible College. I remember the first night I was a youth kid and I turned up to uh, the youth group there and there's this friendly, smiling person on keys and it was Jeremy. Jeremy was leading the youth and, uh, and Jeremy has consistently just led worship. There's such a, a, a wonderful uh, sound of faith and grace and love coming out of Jeremy um, and he's done that faithfully over 20 years. And, and, uh, and so we, we were at youth group together. Uh, my wife, uh, Christelle, um, good friends with you too, Jeremy, uh, worked with them. And, and, uh, and so we sort of uh, went our different ways when Jeremy moved down here to Stanthorpe. And, and, uh, and then we were at a national conference, our ACC national conference, and we saw each other at the traffic lights. And I introduced... Uh, I introduced uh, my senior pastor, Pastor Nathan Bean, to Jeremy. And, uh, you know, when you just meet someone, there's a bit of a heart connection there. And they'd never met each other. Um, but Jer- uh, Nathan just kept asking, hey, what, what are Jeremy and Anita doing down in Stanthorpe? And, uh, and it never left him. And he said, if there's any way that we can, as a church, come and serve the Stanthorpe region and serve Pastors Nathan and uh, not so Pastors Jeremy and Anita, um, can you let me know? because um, they want to be a part of it. And so here we are after a culmination of, uh, of some wonderful things. We're here serving uh, Vineyard Christian Church. And, and so why don't we just honour pastors Jeremy and Anita this morning. Yeah, come on. Wonderful. They're all standing to their feet, mate. How amazing is that? Yeah, come on. Awesome, guys. Seven years of faith-filled ministry serving the, the local region, and it's so, such a beautiful thing. I, I love how this is the first time I've been to Stanthorpe, and uh, it's, it's great that we're already being invited back uh, later in the year, uh, how, however that works. But, um, uh, but we were driving, getting our morning coffee. Who loves coffee? Yeah. Who can't function without coffee? <laughs> uh, we were getting our coffees this morning, and we're driving through Stanthorpe, and just the celebration of community that you have here is incredible. Got the bunting over the streets and a welcome to the, the, the fruit festivals. and uh, It's such a wonderful thing. And so not only is, your, is Stanthorpe Region celebrating community, you are the lifeblood of that community. You know, um, we can just do life together and we can uh, be friendly with each other, but who knows to see community operating at its best that needs thriving churches offering the message of hope and Vineyard Christian Church is that message of hope in this community and and so uh, great things ahead Um, and uh, it's just a wonderful uh, thing to be here at Stanthorpe today and and uh, just a little bit about me I'm the youth pastor at Nexus Church Uh, we're a church in Brisbane in the northern suburbs uh, there. And, you know, we're very blessed to be uh, a larger church in the ACC movement, and so we can resource some wonderful things. Um, last year, we uh, were doing a similar thing, going out and putting on a church service for the community of Gainda, um, another fruiting community. Um, they gave us a whole tray of oranges and mandarins, so I don't know what you guys want to give us on our way back, but, um, you know, just putting it out there. But, um, but yeah, pastors Rod and Jen Best, uh, they, they have some health issues, and so we went out and uh, said, how, how can we serve this community? And so this year we 
wanted to do exactly the same in, in different regional communities. And, and our, 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 our motive is we don't want, we have no agenda. We just want to, we just want to build the body of Christ and, uh, and, to, and to serve. Um, and so once again, it's a real honor for to be invited here today. Uh, so I, I've been married for 11 years to my beautiful wife, Christelle. There's a picture on the screen, I believe. This is, uh, this is my little clan. Uh, that's my wife, Christelle, um, and my beautiful daughters, Adeline and Elodie. Adeline just started prep. I did, start, I did cry a little bit. My little girl's growing up too fast. She's five and a half now. Uh, she's like a real angel, and I don't know how you would describe the other one. Um, uh, even in that photo, she's just like looking at her sister like, what are you smiling at? Come on. Like, <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? She's our, she's our little comedian. Um, and so that's, that's our family. Um, and uh, my wife's a social worker, has her own uh, practice, and she has her own children's clothing label as well. She's a real go-getter. Um, so, yeah. So, you guys ready for the word? Yes. Cool. If you've got your Bibles or your iPhone, swipe to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read about Jesus healing the paralyzed man. But before we do that, let's pray, hey? Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it is your message to us and for us. And I just pray, Lord, as we sit under its authority, Father, that we will grow, that we will learn, and that we will be changed by the message of hope, the message of life that Jesus came to give. Father, we thank you that those who are, um, are free are free indeed. Those who know the truth will be set free. So, Father, we just thank you that uh, today there's freedom and faith in your house. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. I went actually have been to Israel, did a tour of Israel, and it's cool. Like it, you go into the Capernaum and it says the hometown of Jesus. Jesus performed so many miracles there. They were so receptive to Jesus. It was like uh, a multicultural hotbed of different faiths. And so that's why Jesus was so well received there is because everyone was so open to new things. And so Jesus going and performing miracles there, they... They, would just, they loved it, whereas Jesus in Nazareth, he was rejected in his hometown because surely that can't come out of Nazareth. But in Capernaum, it was alive and it was a melting pot of all different things. Um, so he was back home in Capernaum. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Some scholars would say that this was Peter's house. While he was preaching... God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. So let's just stop the scripture there for a moment. Just come with me on this journey. Jesus is teaching the word of God in Peter's house. And all of a sudden, there's some distractions going on. Some straw of the roofing has fallen on Jesus' shoulder, uh, where other people are starting to see inconvenience and distraction and a noise. You just wonder what's going through Jesus' head. I was a school teacher for seven years, 
And I know what it's like to try to teach in a class uh, where there's distractions going on. The worst class I ever had was year nine maths, and it was, the only, it was straight after big lunch. So can you imagine a whole bunch of sweaty boys coming in after big lunch in the summertime, sitting, trying to learn maths. It stunk, and they couldn't be bothered to learn. Uh, it just like, it was so distracting. Um, and I'm trying to get on with my job, and then all of this distraction is trying to take away from what my role was doing. You just wonder at what Jesus is doing. Like, is Jesus being inconvenienced at this moment? I'm teaching the word of God. This is powerful. This is serious. And all of a sudden, I don't know what's happening up there, but I personally think that Jesus had a wry smile on his face, knowing what's about to go down. That someone was so desperate to get to Jesus that they were about to break through a roof. You know, it's, it's similar. We're going to t- go into this uh, later on. But Jesus is probably thinking, you know what, I've done exactly the same thing to get to humanity. <laughs> I've broken through the walls of hostility. I've come from above, down below in order to reach people. So he's probably, you know, anticipating and loving this very moment. So uh, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Again, let's just go on a bit of a journey here. The four men carrying the paralyzed man, they're just like, uh, Jesus, that's great that you would want to forgive his sins, but that's not what we came here for. <laughs> you know, we've heard about the healing We've heard that you're the miracle worker, that you're the way maker, you're the promise keeper. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we heard that you can perform signs and wonders and miracles. We have a man who's paralyzed on a mat, but that's not what we came. We came for him, his healing, not for his sins to be forgiven. But Jesus is operating a high level. He's speaking to our primary need in that moment. Verse 6, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought only to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. It's an incredible piece of scripture. The fame of Jesus is spreading like wildfire. Jesus is becoming a celebrity. He's being swamped. Everywhere he goes, he goes to Peter's house teaching the word of God. And the place is packed, absolutely jam-packed. No one can get to Jesus. Jesus can't get a moment's rest. Because in Mark chapter 1, we read that Jesus has performed an incredible miracle of healing a leper. No one had seen that before, that Jesus reached out and touched the leper and they were healed. And word is getting around the street that this man is in our house. This man is in our hometown. This is our shot in order to get to Jesus, in order to get the miracle, the need that we're looking for, healed by Jesus. He's cleansed impure spirits. He's healed multitudes of sick. And so everywhere that Jesus is going, amazing things are happening. Word is is getting around the streets and people are starting to talk and to chatter. And so when these four people heard that Jesus was in the house, they said, 
we've got enough faith to know that this Jesus person can heal. And so we're going to grab this friend of ours. The Bible's not clear if it's a friend, but I say it would be. They grabbed this friend and they said, we know exactly what you need for your breakthrough. We know exactly who to go for for your breakthrough. And so they get to Jesus, four men and a paralyzed man, man, and uh, they get to Jesus, but then they were stuck outside. The testimony of others' miracles were pressing them towards their own miracle. Who's ever been inspired by somebody else's testimony? And they went, I want that for myself. Wow, if God can do it for them, God can do it for me. If I've seen God working in that aspect of life, or if I've seen God heal that person, then I want to claim that for myself. And it's the testimony of other people that are driving them to say, I want my own miracle. And that's a great indication of, of what faith does. You know, they overcame, the revelation says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so testimony builds faith. Testimony uh, gives faith and says that there is a miracle working God. There's a healing God. There's a restorative God. There's a God of the breakthrough. And if we can just get to that God, then we might get our miracle. This is what testimony does. And so testimony is, is spreading around Capernaum and everyone's driving Everyone's walking, everyone's going to the house where Jesus is. And, it, and this takes place, this miracle takes place on in, an, in, an, in an unlikely setting, which is a roof. A roof. I don't see too many miracles happening on a roof, <laughs> involving a roof. Um, but this one does. You don't need prerequisites for a miracle, really, un, un, unless a need. You don't need to have prerequisites other than a need to get a miracle, I believe. But in this story, we see that you have to have a prerequisite, and that's the ability to climb. You know, the ability to climb in order to get up to the roof, to break through the roof, in order to get to Jesus. Um, being the youngest of our, our siblings, my dad has a mango farm in uh, Montville. He's got 250 mango trees and uh, Bowens and all these incredible varieties of, of mangoes. And so being the youngest, I was the, um, I was the person and the lightest. And the nibble, is it the nibblest? No, nimblest. Most nimble, that's good. There's a teacher in the house. Uh, most nimble in order to climb up through the trees and to snap away the mangoes, to, to throw them safely down to my brothers and sisters on the ground. And, uh, and so I remember this one time I was uh, out on a on a... Um, on a branch, and uh, it was hollow. I didn't realize it was hollow branch. And I put my foot straight down, and I fell straight down three meters down onto a little embankment. Luckily, I fell. It was like a, a terrace, and so I fell, and it sort of scooped me in like a slippery slide like that. Uh, but I landed on an electric fence, to believe it or not. It was on the boundary. This is a true story. I'm a preacher. I don't lie. I just exaggerate. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, and so landed on an electric fence and a, about a foot away from a star picket with no cap on it. So lucky I was alive. But um, that would have been an interesting story. But, um, you know, uh, I've had a lot of experience climbing onto roofs, you know, to retrieve balls that, you know, you, you, your brother's hit up on the, on the roof. I've, had, I've got stories of climbing into roofs. You know, I, I installed air condition units for a couple of years, but I've not got any stories of breaking through roofs. 
Otherwise, I'd be in jail. Um, uh, but before we arrive at the miracle, which is Jesus' work, so the miracle is Jesus' work, the lead-up is the work of the believers, the work of the friends, the work of the paralyzed man. And that's just what I want to spend just a few minutes trying to unpack before we get to the work of Jesus today. Many things had to happen before the miraculous outcome. Number one, they had faith that Jesus could heal. They had faith that Jesus was the miracle-working God. They'd seen it. They'd heard about it. They'd, they'd seen a transformed life. Oh, did you remember the leper? Did you remember that person who was demon-possessed? Do you remember that person who was sick? And they knew that Jesus could work. So number one, they had faith in their hearts in order to get a miracle. Number two, they had compassion in their hearts. Compassion. They saw a friend who was in desperate need. I don't know how long he was paralyzed for. I don't know how long he'd been lame for, but it says that the friends picked him up and brought him to Jesus. You have to have a, a compassionate heart in order to create an action like that. So you need faith in your heart, you need compassion in your heart. But then number three, they had to go to unusual lengths in order to get their miracle. An unrelenting determination to get to Jesus. Uh, so um, let's just have a, a think about some, what are the options in rank it was for these people to go to unusual lengths in order to get to Jesus? What option was it in order to break through the roof? Okay, so I would suggest that these four friends just said, let's just get to Jesus. It's a couple of minutes walk. When we get to Jesus, it'll be fine. You'll get your miracle. I know he's done it before. So they get and the, to the house, and the house is absolutely packed. People are, are flooding out into the front yard. People are hanging out the windows. And so getting to Jesus is actually not as easy as they first thought. And so option number one would be just like, let's just walk in and get to Jesus. That didn't work. Option number two might be, let's try the back door. You know, let's get around the back, see if there's a back entrance in order to get to Jesus. Well, that was full as well. Number three, third option to get to Jesus might be like the window. But people are hanging out the window. Um, people, option number four might be, let's ask people to move aside and relinquish their opportunity for a miracle because we have a greater need. So, oh, sorry, can, you know, we've got a guy here who really needs Jesus. And they're just like, yeah, well, so do I. Uh, so, no, you can't take my place in the line, you know. I'm not giving you my number <laughs> off the counter to, to get to Jesus first. Uh, and so they're just like, no, no, we're here for our miracle. We're here to see what Jesus is doing. We're not stepping aside for you. Uh, maybe number five, option number five is to yell out and say, make a scene outside, like, Jesus! And you start yelling and you're making a scene and maybe Jesus will hear you and he'll stop what he's doing and say, oh, sorry, I heard my, my name. I'm just going to pop outside. No, no, that, that probably didn't work. What about option number six? It's just like waiting it out. Oh, we'll, just, we'll just wait here until, until Jesus finishes with all the rest. No, but then the crowd is building and building and building. The line's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the franticness is, is getting stronger and stronger, so that's not going to work. Uh, maybe option 
another option was like, oh, this is Jesus' hometown. You know, maybe he'll pass through next time. Uh, you know, we'll just go back home. We'll just go back to our ordinary lives and, and Jesus might come through these parts again. And so the option for, for them to go through the roof was probably further down the list. Would you agree? It's not just option number one or two. It's like option number seven or eight, I think. And so to stop and to think that the lengths that these people would go to, not just for their miracle, but for a friend's miracle, it puts a challenge out to, to you and I, doesn't it? Like, how, how determined are we to see our friends get their miracle? How, how determined are we with compassion in our heart, with faith in our heart, to go to see breakthrough for those who we dearly love, for prodigals to come home, for marriages to be restored, for people going through cancer battles to get healed? What lengths are we going to in order to continue to press in with godly determination to see a miracle breakthrough for our friends? So uh, in order to get breakthrough for the breakthrough, in order to break through for the breakthrough, see what I did there? Very clever. I broke through the roof to get, you know. Um, Just, you know, I'm pretty clever with my words. I'm a youth pastor. Um, they They risked some of the following. They risked looking silly. They risked looking silly. Uh, Are you and I willing to look silly for breakthrough in God's house? Uh, You know, um, are we willing to maybe dance in church? Are we willing to maybe raise our hands for the first time in church? Are we willing to go out and maybe pray for somebody and risk embarrassment? Or they might reject me, they might... Have, you know, they risk looking silly. They went to the lengths of being judged. Jesus is trying to teach the word of God. Why are you distracting him with your need? You know, you're not respectful of Jesus' time. You know, they, people might have been judging these, these friends for what they were doing in order to get to Jesus. The lengths of being rejected. They might have broken through the roof and then Jesus is like, Guys, you didn't go about it the right way. You're going to have to go to the back of the line. And if I have time, I'll get to you later. They risk being rejected. The lengths of inconvenience. In order to break through the roof, they might have needed rope. They might have needed a ladder. They might have needed some tools. And they said, oh, well, it's just a bit too much going on in order to do that. And so we'd rather just leave it. The lengths of being inconvenienced. You know, um, sometimes, you know, we might get a phone call and it's our day off. Jeremy, I know you've never encountered this, uh, where, <laughs> um, where it's your day off and you get a phone call and people are in a desperate state of need and they're just like, and you have to inconvenience yourselves in order to be there to help somebody. Um, your family time is inconvenienced. Your work schedule, your financial, your relationships are inconvenient sometimes. Um, But when we've got faith in our hearts, compassion in our hearts, and there's breakthrough on the line, sometimes we need to be inconvenienced. The lengths of gaining a reputation. This is what they risked. Risk. Getting a reputation. Oh, those, those pests. Those four brothers or those four friends. Leave them alone. Oh, they're... We don't want anything to do with them anymore. 
the, the lengths of gaining a reputation, putting everything on the line in order to get to Jesus. It got such, to a, such a drastic position after breaking through the roof that Jesus could not sidestep them anymore. Not that he ever did, but they were so desperate in order to get to Jesus, they went through all these options and they now lowered the man through the roof that Jesus could not sidestep the situation anymore. The need, the breakthrough was right in front of Jesus and now we have the work of Jesus. We had the work of the friends, but now we've got the work of Jesus. Jesus can't sidestep it. And I love what Jesus says. He says, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. Everyone say, seeing their faith. You know, your faith matters for your friends. Your faith matters for your community. Your faith matters for your pastor. Your faith matters for your church. Jesus sees your faith for somebody else. You know, you might have news of somebody going through a cancer battle or someone whose relationship is, is, uh, is broken down, and your faith is seen by Jesus. You can advocate for them. You can go to Jesus in prayer. You can have compassion in your heart. You might not know all the answers. You know, might not know what even option to take. But you say, God, I see these people and they're struggling. This community has gone through so much and it's struggling. There's so many hurting people who have been through so much. But Lord, you see them and you see my prayer right now. I'm asking, Lord, if there's anything that you can do in me and through me for them, Lord, I ask that you help me do that. And so Jesus sees your faith. He sees your compassion. He sees the testimony of what's happening in the life of this community. And he's saying, your faith actually matters. Your faith can make a difference. This person couldn't get to Jesus by himself. But the faith and the determination of the four friends brought him to Jesus. Your friend, your marriage, your friend's marriage or, you know, sickness, illness, brokenness, hurting, pain, whatever it might be, they might not be able to get to Jesus themselves. But you can place something on the stretcher and lower it before Christ so he can't sidestep it. And you, your, your faith is, is so critical, it's so powerful in order to bring a need, a breakthrough to, to Jesus. Four friends decided to grab the rope for another. And we need to hold the rope for our community, for our friends. I love in Galatians chapter 6, verse 21, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. To carry each other's burdens. And this is a beautiful representation found in this, in this passage of Scripture of these four friends carrying the burden of their friend, and they were fulfilling the law of Christ that had compassion, that's fulfilling the law of Christ, that had faith, fulfilling the law of Christ, that were carrying the burden of someone they dearly loved and they wanted breakthrough for them. So uh, I remember working at a drug and alcohol rehab down in Sydney and uh, there was this one person who was struggling at the time. They uh, just relapsed uh, recently um, at the time and uh, they were saying, well... Once an addict, always an addict. Um, this place is not, not going to make me better. And they were about to leave. And I remember just having that, that moment, that wave of compassion, 
that wave of like holy indignation, like, no, Satan, you're not going to get another young life ripped off to drugs, ripped off to death. And so we sat this guy down and we, we were trying to live out Galatians chapter 6, carrying the burden of our friend. And so we almost had like an intervention and we, uh, we asked him, please, can you just stay a week? And we were begging him, just stay a week. You know, if you go back there, you know what life is going to look like. But if you stay in here, you never know what life might turn out like. And so just stay in here. We're, we're holding the rope for you. We're holding on to hope for you. And so he decided to stay. And this is just one of the success stories. Unfortunately, not all of them are success stories in drug and alcohol rehabilitation. But this one person is now going into schools, uh, teaching them about drug and alcohol awareness, talking about the danger of gateway drugs, talking about like, the danger of um, who you hang around. And he's speaking positive life choices to young people who are going down a similar track. Absolutely. And it all began because we saw somebody who was being carried away, away from Jesus. And we said, no, we need to carry that burden. We need to have faith in our hearts that Jesus can bring a breakthrough. And we almost carried him, had to, <laughs> you know, drag him to Jesus. And his life was changed. And now he's speaking life into other people. You know, there's always a legacy after the breakthrough. There's always a further story. Often we, in reading scripture, we just read of the moment of miracle. We read of the moment of salvation. We read of the moment of change and transformation. Not often do we get the second chapter of that person went on to change their community. That person went on to change their family. I love the story in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. We get the story of the second chapter where Jesus said, you know, you'll now drink rivers of living water that will come, you know, from me. And, and she was um, completely changed in that moment. But then she went to the town of Samaria and, um, and then so many people got saved and we saw a transformation in a community because of one life being changed. And I just believe that that could happen here at Stanthorpe too, that, that, um, that communities can change when encounters, even just one through Jesus. And, uh, and so we have this incredible... Um, passage here where Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Has there ever been a time when you uh, have succumbed to giving up because of an obstacle? Uh, so, so, for example, um, silly story, I was a year six teacher and we went to Wet and Wild for our end of year celebration. And it's like every school goes to Wet n' Wild at the end of the year on the very same day. And so the lineups are absolutely massive. And there was this one particular ride we were about to go in, go on this slide where you, it's like a sheer drop and you have to sit in this raft. And so we had our, our raft and we were waiting in line, felt like over an hour, me and this young fella called Travis. And, uh, and he... He was fine until he, we started climbing the stairs to get to, to the start of the slide. And all of a sudden, he was, his persona went from fun to fear. Because he knew that the moment of, you know, <laughs> descent, that's a great word. The descent of death, no, um, was, uh, 
was, was about to come upon him and he started to become so fearful. And with every step up that slow uh, staircase, he started to become more paranoid, more fearful, and he started throwing out questions like, um, is it too late to back out? Anyway, so we got, we were about two from, about, about two, two places from going down the slide and we've got this big raft and he says, I can't do it, I can't do it. And, uh, and so I tried to convince him we're letting people go through the top of the staircase and I'm starting to get frustrated because I really wanted to go on the ride. <laughs> it's not about him, it's about me. And, um, and I'm just like, mate, you've got to do it. Like, we can't turn around. And anyway, eventually, we had to walk down through the line. It's like the walk of shame, you know. Uh, walk through with our big raft, walking through like we couldn't get through. But, you know, so many, so many times we give up just at the moment that breakthrough might happen. Just at that moment when where something great is about to happen, we can succumb to fear. Our insecurities rise up and can stop us from living out God's full potential in us. Um, we can give up to, due to fear, insecurities, doubt. It's too much effort. Who am I? Who's ever had that question? Like, who am I? Like, who am I to preach God's word? Like, who am I to, 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 to do these things? That's something that can really come to try to steal, kill, and destroy. The persuasions of the crowd, oh, don't bother, don't try. Oh, you're making the wrong choice. You don't know the right people. Oh, I'm just not, I'm new to church. I just don't feel like I can give much because I don't know the right person. Um, don't have enough resources at the moment, so um, things are not going to work out. I might look foolish. And what these people didn't say, they didn't let fear and insecurity and doubt stop them from getting to Jesus. What these people didn't say was, this person's issue doesn't really involve me. They didn't give that excuse, did they? Well, you know, it, I see them on the street all the time. Like, uh, it doesn't really involve me. I'm not really wanting to get into that messy state. Well, it's not my business, therefore it's not my problem. Who am I to go over and say, hey, there's something better on offer for you. You should do this. I'd rather avoid the conflict or the awkwardness. That's a big one, isn't it? Like, you don't want to speak life and truth into somebody because you, you don't want the, the... But they had compassion in their heart and they weren't willing to let go. I love... It, it's, it's a representation of Jacob here wrestling with God. So I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until they get the breakthrough. And this is what the, the faith of these four friends were like. And this is what we can do with our faith. That I will not let go of this passion, of this faith, of this um, compassion in my heart until there's a breakthrough. If the band want to come back. Um, at the start, we talked about uh, God, Jesus, probably having a wry smile on his face because he knew, looking up, that he, was, he had done exactly the same thing, that there was a wall, there was a separation there, and Jesus broke down, broke through from heaven to earth 
in order to be with us and to redeem us and to get our breakthrough. And I remember this time when uh, Adeline, she was only two at the time, she'd locked herself in the bedroom. She closed the door and pressed the click button and she didn't understand how to reopen the door. And uh, there was no other way into the door, but I knew that she was separated from me. And I, I could have gone through these excuses and said, oh, it's a bit of an inconvenience. I have to go out to the shed, find the right tools. I have to talk to her, go through this long process in order to reach her. Oh, I might just wait it out, see if she'll come around herself. No, the passion of a father heart for their child was to say, I'm going to do whatever I can so this daughter of mine is no longer separated, but she's united with me. And so I busted down that door after a whole bunch of processes. And, uh, you know, I got my drill out. I got my screwdrivers out. I got my hammer out. And I made an absolute mess of that door. <laughs> I tried the fireman thing on it, like bang, bang and kicking and stuff. But then I realized she's probably at the back of that. And if it flies open, I'm going to knock her out. Um, and so I was really frantically trying to reunite my daughter back to safety. And it's a picture of what the Heavenly Father did for us. That He saw that we were separated from Him. And He busted down the door of hostility. He busted down the wall that separated us. And so in Romans 8, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor present nor things to come, nor neither height nor depth, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus here in this moment, he, he reaches out and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven, meeting his primary need. Often we think that salvation and our spirituality is not our primary need. We think financially, relationally, workplace security is our primary need. But Jesus here is saying, Above your physical need is your spiritual need. And that's to be reunited with the Father, reunited with God above. And He meets that need. And so, so, so often we can get distracted with all the needs that we have for our lives. But we have to come back to the place, that simple faith where we say, God, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. So with every head bowed and eyes closed right now, I just want to pray for a couple of people. You know, this story is not just about understanding that we carry the burdens for our friends. We need to read this story understanding that we ourselves are the person on the mat. That we ourselves are the person requiring the salvation of our souls for our sins to be forgiven. And if you're here and you say that, God, I just need my sins forgiven. I need to know that you are the Lord and Savior of my life. I need to know that you broke through, broke through the things that would separate me from you so that I could be reunited with you. I want to give my life back to you knowing that my sins are forgiven. I'd just love to give you that opportunity. You can raise your hand right now just so I can pray for you. Awesome. The second group of people I'd love to pray for are those with needs. You might have a physical need, a relational need, a spiritual need. Or you might know, and you would know, of people who've got incredible drastic needs out there. And so I just would love to pray in faith that your faith is seen by Jesus. Your life is one that can actually bring them to Jesus in order to get their breakthrough. 
I don't know the workings of Christ, but I do know that He is for us and not against us. I don't know often know the timings of Jesus, but I do know that He is faithful and true, that His promises are yes and amen. So Father, we just, why don't we all stand together? And if you've got a need, or you know somebody who has a need, why don't you just lift them up, put your hands to heaven and say, God, I want to carry the rope. I want to carry them to Jesus. There's faith in my heart. There's compassion in my heart. Lord, I don't want to be one who just gives up when it's too hard, but I want to be somebody who goes to the unrelenting ways to get them their breakthrough. For those who are battling cancer, for those who are marriages are on the line, for those who are depressed, for those who have got mental illness, for those that there looks like there is no way. Lord, we're asking for prodigals to come home. We're asking that you'll use us, Father, that you'll speak and enlarge our territory. You'll enlarge our heart. Father, you'll give us strength to continue to press on in faith for our friends. Lord God, that we'll be people who carry them to Jesus. We'll carry their burdens. We'll carry their heart. We'll carry everything that we can in order to see you break through because we know that you are faithful and true, that you're the way maker, that you're the miracle worker. Lord God, that you bring light in the darkness. So we lift them up to you, Lord God. Come on, why don't we sing this last song as a declaration, as a prophetic word to say that God, you are the way maker for our community. You are the way maker for our friends. You're the way maker towards a miracle. Father, you are the miracle worker in Jesus' name. is good amen you know before we close we're going to thank cam and the team in just a moment give them a great hand but i just want to pray uh for the cunningham family if you were here wednesday night uh, at our heart for the house night you would have heard that um beck who's running our kids program this morning because she's amazing uh has been diagnosed with breast cancer uh, and so she's got a journey ahead of her we're still learning what that is treatment and all that stuff but you know what the family are hurting the family are hurting okay so we're going to pray for the Cunninghams. We're going to believe for God's peace to come on their family. Sets up the back serving on the desk and the others are wherever they are, probably down with the kids or whatever. But can we just reach our hands towards them and let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for your peace that surpasses all understanding. Father God, would would just cover Trev, his children, his family at this time, Father God, that you would do a miracle in Beck's body. Lord, when it comes to 
doing tests and, and seeing wh- where things are at, God, that something miraculous would happen. In fact, the cancer would even be gone in the name of Jesus. It doesn't belong in a body of a child of the Most High God. And so, Lord, we speak to that cancer. We say, go in the name of Jesus. Shrink, shrivel, disappear and be gone. In the name of Jesus, your word says that by your stripes, Jesus, we are healed. And so, Father God, we stand on your promise that by your stripes, Beck is healed. And we declare that healing, that health, that wholeness, that peace around the family in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's sing this part of the song again. You never stop working, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. In faith, sing it one more time. Way Father God, we thank you for everything that you are. And I pray your blessing on each person in this place, Lord, as we go and fellowship more around morning tea. Father God, that you would you would just rest in each of our hearts, reminding us that you are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. Nothing is too hard for you. And so may your blessing go with us as we go into our week. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. Give us wisdom. Be in our hearts and be in our homes, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? And can we also put our hands together for Pastor Cam, the whole team that have come and blessed us this morning. Bless you. Thank you. Bless you, Pastor Cam. Awesome word. Very encouraging. Let's fellowship around morning tea. If you need prayer, individual prayer, We'll be up the front here and you can come up to the front and we'll pray with you. But otherwise, let's have fellowship, morning tea and be blessed in Jesus' name.